You are now listening to the Ghost Squawk Experience, episode number eight, with your host, Daniel Kovacs and Chin Doe. Every week, we bring on special guests to discuss issues pertaining finance and broader topics impacting society today. Tonight's special guest is Snacks, a physicist, philosopher, and artist with a unique aesthetic, also well known for his work on snurks.com. The differences between them, right, for whether or not they function better is more or less a matter of technical <laughs> prowess, but they, they do both function. Monero is obviously a much more robust platform. I mean, they have, like, messaging and shit built into their, their clients, so um, it's definitely more useful. Is Monero um, proof of stake? No. Uh, no. Ethereum is trying to be, and the way they are trying to do it is interesting. I'm not convinced that proof of stake is actually secure. Most coins that do proof of stake right now are because of the 51% attack. Well, not 51% attack. So, I mean, that's never going to happen on most. Like, 51% attacks, even if you have proof of work, right? That that's easy to overcome from most. Coins. In fact, you could never have a real technological breakthrough, a very deep, meaningful invention like Bitcoin happen, and have it be proof of stake now, because because as soon as somebody sees that it's a real useful thing with your new tiny network, they'll just take it over, right? So so Bitcoin can never happen again, right? Or a new proof of work algorithm can never happen again because it's people would just stomp on it. Right. The, the reason why Bitcoin worked was because it got away with what it was doing for a very long time. It flew under the radar. Nobody thought it was serious, and they ignored it. That's why Bitcoin ended up working, because it was allowed to grow for a very long time and very rapidly without interruption. That being said, it has been attacked frequently and is attacked all the time, but because it is more robust now, it can survive those attacks. Would you say that the majority of the growth was attributed to the Silk Road? No. Um, so I think the majority of the use for a while, right, the boon in use could have been attributed to the fact that people saw that you could actually buy and sell goods with it. No, that's I'm gonna I'm gonna chirp in here and say that's actually what introduced me to it. So Well there you go. What'd you say, I'm sorry? Oh yeah, uh, this guy Cicada. This is Dread Pirates Roberts, by the way. Yeah. This is the. Yeah. Uh, I'm, in, I'm in the cell. Now, Rob. What's his real name? I just forgot. You said Rob. Dread Pirate Roberts. What's What's his real name? Um. This is gonna bug me. I can't remember. It doesn't matter. He's in Ross jail. William Ulbrich. Yeah, yeah Ross Ulbrich. That's his name. Why, why is you on the air, man? Uh, did, you, did, you, did you happen to see the stuff that, um, that he did where, where uh, he got robbed for, I mean, several million dollars with a fake hit? Well, that's, uh, that's how know. he got caught. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Which was a sting operation prompted by the fact that uh, bad FBI agents were using the Silk Road to trade their own drugs. And that's what initially got the FBI involved. And then one of those dudes put a hit on Ross to steal his money. And then they used that to get Ross. 
And then I think they only gave a slap on the wrist to the FBI agent that was went oh, yeah, rogue. They, I don't remember if I, he was actually I arrested. Think was, I think there was three of them. Yeah, there was two FBI agents for sure that were uh, illegally selling narcotics and making money off of it just to make money off of it. They, they weren't like running an operation. They were just, you know, bad agents. And, <laughs> and uh, there was two of them doing that. There might have been more, but there's two of them working together, and they were the big two. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, here's there's like um, a clear history of the, the criticisms of, of Bitcoin in particular that very slowly um, started to topple. So, so, like, the initial criticism was that you couldn't actually buy anything with it, right? And then they say, okay, well, then let's make a market that only uses Bitcoin. And then now we can buy stuff with it, right? And you could sell whatever you want on this market. And it was whatever you wanted. It, it wasn't just drugs or anything. It was just an open market. Um, and it worked. And it worked so well, in fact, that the government said shut it down. Uh, <laughs> which, you know, anytime the government says shut it down, that basically means that you won. Right, so that's the first criticism. The other criticism was that it would never actually gain in value and become more widely adopted. And then, you know, when it broke a hundred uh, million the first time uh, in terms of uh, uh, its its market capitalization, they go, "Oh, okay. Well, then that's you know an old criticism that's no longer valid. It has some substantial, you know, MCAP, um, you know, use adoption or just general adoption for open or." Uh, broader markets you know you i have a bitcoin debit card it says visa on it it's a visa debit card but the only thing in that account is bitcoin there's no us dollars right and i can just pay using bitcoin anywhere that takes visa i actually have a couple of those who's that is uh, kyc required with it so it depends on how you do it um KYC AML, the, the Know Your Customer anti-money laundering laws are becoming more prevalent. So the, a lot of these exchanges aren't actually being asked by the government to involve that regulation, but a lot of these exchanges are doing it automatically because they want to be viewed as more legitimate. Um, I would recommend not doing that, uh, <laughs> but that's what's happening. If you use an American exchange, for example, they just by default do all of that. Any American-based company that deals with cryptocurrency has KYC AML in involved. So um, I got grandfathered in. I didn't have to do that um, on some of these exchanges because uh, they just hadn't implemented it yet. And then when they started applying those policies, uh, I just didn't have to comply because I was already, uh, you know, I already had an account and stuff. So I would recommend using... There's, I, I don't think Binance requires any. I could be wrong about that. Um, they, they don't, but you're limited to the amount. Uh, Bybit doesn't either. And obviously neither does Arthur's. Fuck Max. Yeah. Well, no, that's not. Bitmax. No, that's true, huh? Bitmax doesn't require anything. No. Um, part of the reason why that is, though, is that that's a strategy that Arthur Hayes uses to. Um, draw people in. They go, oh, I don't have to provide any information, and I can upload however much, I can send however much money I want, 
And then also we're going to, they, they don't tell you this third bit, which is we're just going to drop your contracts randomly and steal your money. Uh, <laughs> so there's that. Um, yeah, so that's more or less a, a scam, dare I say. Um, but yeah, m most exchanges don't do that because most exchanges don't exclusively deal in what does BitMEX call it? Perpetual swap contracts? Is that what they call yeah. it? Yep. I, I just actually I pulled it up. I've got it up on my screen right now. I'm banned. So I can still, still log in. Why are you banned? Uh, you probably just didn't use a VPN. I logged in from my phone one day without my VPN on. And uh, I was also trolling the fuck out of people in the troll box. <laughs> Yeah, I've never had an issue. When you sign up for the account, they don't allow American IPs, but after that, you can do whatever you want. No, they started cracking down on it. Really? Yeah, so no matter, you always have to have a VPN on now when you're trading on there. And I That's... actually, I was trading on my phone once. Uh, I was at the bar, go figure, and I had my VPN on. But, uh, I, I actually still got the email that said, hey, get your shit out, you have seven days. Yep, that's exactly what happened to me. Yep. That's interesting. It so must I, be It must be American investors that had fi you know large financial stakes that started getting popped by the exchange then wanted to sue the exchange. They can't because it's not American. And and then the American government started getting involved because they've been investigated multiple times. Um Arthur Hayes is wanted in 17 plus countries now just so everybody knows. Uh, he, he's had to flee several countries um, uh, because he steals money. Let's be, that's, that's what he's doing. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not just that they have high leverage. Plenty of exchanges have started doing that, right? That's, you know, they say that's a bad thing. It's not just the high leverage. It's the fact that they are in fact stealing massive sums of money. Uh, but anyways. Uh, I forget what we're talking about. This is yeah. a bad chart. This is very yeah. misleading. You put that one big vertical, or excuse me, diagonal red line, people are going to go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And no, then the, it's just the trend line. I mean, it's not breaking it. It hasn't broken yeah, it yet. Well, it's, a, it's an ascending triangle, right? If uh, you do it proper, right? You get, you get your horizontal there. But anyways... Uh, Yeah, shit max is, is pretty not trustworthy. To be honest with you, I thought that we would probably hit 10.6 before it dropped, or this this range right in here. This That, that would be a 100% retrace on the FIB. Yeah, I didn't think so. If you look at the, um, uh, the, the, right the orders... The, it bounced right up to 618. Yeah, there's there's a very large order wall at, uh, at 10K, right? Nice round numbers are psychological barriers, right. and so it doesn't really matter with the TAs. Right? There's a lot of people that had orders placed for 10K, and it hit 10K, and then look, exploded. Mm. Shot right back down. So Shit, No, it didn't explode until the other day, dude. That I watched that drop. It was fucking insane. I mean, it dropped so quick. It went from... You say that, but those are small. 15 minutes. Yeah, those are small movements for Bitcoin. Like, so people talk about volatility. Comparatively, back in the day before yeah. CME got involved, it was, I mean, dude, that, that was real Lambo days back then. 
Yeah, I mean, it's kind of if you want to make money doing this stuff, you need high volatility. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the longer time goes on, and the more it gets adopted, you get substantially less volatility. The other thing too, I want to point this out to people because it, it it's a retardation that exists in finances and general views of the way that markets work. Um, in terms of like volatility is not inherently a bad thing obviously it just means something's moving more rapidly than others the the way volatility is actually measured is not just by price movement it's also by supply so if you factor in supply which of course there is no more tightly controlled and an exact issuance of currency than bitcoin um which is why the having period is so important um if you factor that in bitcoin has been more stable than the british pound for years right for two years before brexit happened right so, so volatility isn't just price movements right it's it's, it's volatility of the actual the, the asset itself right which is several factors one of them again also is the supply of it right bitcoin is the most stable supply of any currency uh, other than a few other cryptocurrencies so it, when people talk about volatility, it seems more like they're just using that term in a narrower, more limited sense to try to freak people out about it or, you know, cause FOMO or whatever. Uh, or FUD, rather. Do you want to elaborate more on how uh, Bitcoin, uh, the price of it can be calculated by the amount of people that are actually using it? Yes, so that's not specific to Bitcoin, but I will, if you give me two seconds, show you an image that describes this so that you can see what I'm saying and I don't have to link the PDF. Um, This is a chart I made. My parents said it was really nice. They put it on the fridge. Um, And where do I put it? Do you, I'm gonna, share, you can just share your screen if you want. Nope, not going to do that. Um, I just posted it in general. Um, I have I have too much, um, you know, gay midget porn open. I wouldn't want you guys to see that. Um, but so that that chart, and you know, is, I apologize for the colors used, but uh, <clears throat> so the, there's true, which I'm sure you guys. Hello. Who? Why is there? What? Oh Jesus! Okay, problem solved. I didn't realize. I didn't open your stream. I wasn't viewing it, but for some reason, it just opened it for me. I guess, and then I started hearing my voice, and I thought somebody's mic was open. There's feedback. This is a clusterfuck. My point is, uh, if you look at <laughs> actual adoption, right? Which and one percent is not the actual adoption, but if you calculate a 1% global adoption paired against um, the entire rest of the money supply as a means of who's using it and, you know, how much it would account for proportionately, you can calculate the true price as a, as a use value proposition, right? So at M0 to M3, you can see in that, that table there, I've, I've calculated what the actual price should be given 1% global adoption. It's a simple, just straight formula, right? It's not anything fancy, right? So M0 is a set amount, and at the time, and I believe this was 
this was in 2017. So this is three years old, but, um, or two and a half years old. But at the time, M0 was valued at million, billion, 36 trillion, M3 is 90 trillion, not including general swaps, um, and not including the housing market on purpose. So if you don't agree with this valuation, then I've actually factored in, or I've excluded certain large value things that would sway the price one way or another. So this probably is fairly accurate. I can show you the whole write-up if you want later, but um, this is fairly useful information. It's, it's fairly accurate. So if, if it was only 1% globally adopted, meaning it was used by 1% of people for their regular transactions, right? You would expect at M0, just a, you know, base currency, you know, paper money use area, uh, about $22,000 per coin as the true value, right? So you can, you can use this table, right? To then say, uh, you know, how many people are actually using it? And then how different is the price compared to, you know, this quote unquote true price. And you can see whether or not it's, it's, correctly tracking now that doesn't it's not priced in when people trade it right so this is a measurement of of if this wasn't an investment right if you were just using it as a currency this is about the purchasing power that you would expect from using it as a currency if this was priced in right there there you would see a shift in the price when you trade it but it's clearly not priced in so and it probably shouldn't be because it, it this is not an establishment of its price given an investment or given trading it right? this is use value so or true value so it, it's a little different than that i and maybe i'm jumping to other things in my head because i'm trying to anticipate ways that people might look at this but yeah twenty two thousand dollars is probably where it should be um maybe in half a year right given just adoption right actual adoption including you know like institutional money right if you if you really want to include institutional money and see where it's been used i mean people have put houses up on bitcoin or smart contracts with ethereum or you know bitnation is something that exists i don't know if you guys know about that but it's a digital legal state entity um, that exists purely as smart contracts and does not is not bounded by you know geographic uh, you know it's not limited by your your geography um, and people have been married on it um, you know people bought and sold cars off of it they're citizens of these digital nations right this is not a small thing by the way there's thousands and thousands of people so um, you know, the, if you want to look at broader adoption, especially like like architectural adoption with things like entire nation states, right, which is what I just described with BitNation, you might want to actually include M3 and look at it from the N3 supply versus M0, right? And at that point, you're looking at, as the chart says, probably like $54,000 a coin at 1% adoption, right? And it's never going to be fully adopted. It's not going to like replace world currencies, um, but it'll it'll probably exist in tandem to them. And so, if we think like the end state, right? I think maximally Bitcoin would probably hit like twenty percent global adoption. 
And at that point, that's like a million dollars a coin. That's probably the plateau. Ben has a feeling that the government's going to shut it down and that they're just going to replace it with their... Uh, that's another really old perennial thing that people have said that kind of doesn't make sense. I mean, when you say the government's going to shut it down, what are they going to shut down? I That's... that's kind of my point like it's so another you know fun fact uh the more you know dot jpeg you know shooting star that stuff the the big so there's a lot of weird things that go on with it right it's it's a very technical thing right it solves problems with cryptography and so when when you tell people that it's a currency but it's really secure because of this cryptography thing it, it, that doesn't really they don't understand that and they wouldn't because on its own, saying that sentence doesn't mean anything without explaining more. So instead, um, you, the, you should understand first that the, the developers for this technology originally were not very creative when they started naming things. Right? Bitcoin is a word that refers to three separate and distinct things. Firstly, Bitcoin is a protocol for distributed decentralized uh, uh, asset tracking or more or less transaction right it's a, it's a distributed protocol for keeping track of something right it's a protocol first secondly bitcoin is a network right it's a peer-to-peer -peer network that uses that protocol in order to transmit data and that's it right and then thirdly after those two things and on top of those two things bitcoin is a currency so th there, there's different things going on here um I have forgotten what the question was because I'm very tired. Uh, Should I get your 12 hours of sleep? Uh, I got eight. Government, okay. So the network level, right? The second thing that is Bitcoin um, is effectively a, a distributed processing network or like a, you know, DHT has become widely adopted because of Bitcoin, right? Distributed hash tables. That technology is very popular because of what they call blockchains or just the, you know, what Bitcoin helped popularize. They existed long before, but um, they've definitely grown in popularity. That thing in Bitcoin, that decentralized computational thing that we call a network, the Bitcoin network, um, that is the largest computational power on this planet by more than one order of magnitude ever. Okay, so when people say, oh, well, you know, if I just started a server farm or if I got some supercomputers involved, maybe I could, no. There, there are supercomputers solely dedicated to the Bitcoin network. Okay, this thing is massive. There's no amount of money, right? Well, there is an amount of money, but there's not enough physical hardware resources to buy up now. Like the 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 processing, uh, like if if the processor market was a liquid market, you would buy up all that liquidity and then maybe have one percent of the Bitcoin network. So you wouldn't be able to match this power. You wouldn't be able to attack it, right? And it's globally distributed, which means that even if you physically got boots on the ground and went door to door and blapped a million people in the head that ran nodes for the Bitcoin network. Uh, as long as there is two left, you, you wouldn't have won. And, and so the idea that a government is going to shut this down, I mean, the, the very, so they solved a bunch of problems in cryptography. One of the problems that they solved was how do we stop governments from censoring things? 
which is a cryptographic question. And they solved that. You cannot censor Bitcoin anymore, at least. Um, maybe when it was in its infancy, but again, it flew under the radar. Nobody took it seriously, and so they, you know, they let it grow too strong, and now student becomes master kind of a thing. They they can't stop it. I, um, Snacks, just to jump in on there, I, I, I seem to disagree with your view simply for the fact that um, in history, they they banned citizens from owning gold, right? And um, mm -hmm. at a certain point in time, it was illegal to own physical gold, which for you know thousands of years was used as a medium for currency transaction. Uh, Correct. Right. Um, so my the, the way I look at this is that if an asset like gold could be banned, there's no reason why they couldn't ban Bitcoin from being used as a form of currency transaction. Now, 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 now my, my point being is that you know, they, they can't shut down the network because, again, you know, based upon what you're saying, the network's a peer-to-peer -peer network and it, and it exists everywhere, right? But they can ban ordinary citizens from owning it. And just the threat of owning it based upon the premise of terrorist funding or anti-money laundering would just be enough to deter... They've already done that. ...a lot of people from owning it. It's already banned. What? Well, I mean, like not China to, and Russia have banned it like a dozen times. Right, but not to the extent where I think they're enforcing it to the point where you know they'll. they'll well, there's that's that's where your problem is. There, there is no such thing as enforcing a ban on a digital asset that you cannot physically control. Right. Well, they don't need to control the asset per se. They just need to control the citizens' behaviors on owning the asset. Right. Yeah, so but there's nowhere to do that. I mean, unless unless they physically go, do, I mean, they dug up everybody's gold, right? So when they when they when the U.S. government banned gold, uh, more or less banned, they ceased it. They said that you could still technically own it, but um, you just couldn't physically have you know uh, uh, custodianship over it. But when they went door to door, literally digging up everyone's gold, that was a physical activity. Right. The, the only way something like that would work now is if they went door to door and took everyone's computer. That like maybe maybe if we were being more charitable to this, right? Maybe they would put software, force everybody to have software on their computer, or come on the mobile, with, you know, some microcontroller or something that checks to see if you're doing a Bitcoin transaction. If you are, uh oh, you broke the law. Um, but they don't stop you from using yen. <laughs> Right. I mean, why why would they say that you can't have this one currency, but you can use others? That that would be strange. But let's okay well, that, again. That, that, and, that, that goes know, not being charitable. That that goes to my point of of um, having a controlled currency by the governments. Right. It's like basically them telling you what you can use and what you can't use. Right. In this particular case, you know, just the just the um, the thought of you know being a terrorist funder and getting life in prison would be enough to deter a lot of people now can they physically go into your the computer? u.s dollar has done a far better job of funding terrorism oh absolutely laundering dealing drugs right well, and trafficking people than any currency could ever dream of competing with no absolutely Absolutely, but again, the U.S. dollar is a reserve currency, right? And it's the one of the, the for now until the trifling dilemma resolves. <laughs> well, I mean, it's at the moment it's one of the primary ways that the you know let's say the powers to be are holding um, status or holding the status quo, right? I now, mean, maybe now 
if there's another currency that can come and challenge that, I just feel that, you know, the powers to be would not allow something to take away their ability to control the financial system itself. Right. And, and that's what Bitcoin is. It is it is just a challenge to the current financial system. Yeah, but this is look, so there's again this these are like old um criticisms that have been resolved. So like um uh Bitcoin Jesus and JS Antonopoulos, and I'm not saying that sarcastically, he is probably the best resource for just raw information on this. Um he, he has a talk called Worse Than Useless, which uh, I unironically listen to on repeat as background noise sometimes. Uh, it's amazing. Um, and in this talk, he, he describes problems with traditional banking systems um, or just the, the, the way that central banks have sort of rigged world economies. But one of the things that he talks about, uh, <clears throat> and I'm paraphrasing, is that the banks are not totally unaware that this stuff exists. And as we've seen, the more that the technology has been adopted, banks found out, oh, no, you can really make something private with this. You can really occlude and make transactions anonymous, right? Um, not necessarily with Bitcoin, but with similar protocols. And so banks definitely adopted it. They use this technology Right, they they want all their stuff to be private. They don't want people to see what they're doing internally, right, or what their dealings are with other banks. Because if people can see that, if other banks can see that, then they get overran, right? They get front run on all of their transactions, right? So so banks definitely love this technology. They use it. They have all adopted it. All the major banks have adopted it. Um, global banks have adopted it. Right, and my, um, my- they don't. My point being is that they why... want the technology; they just don't want you to have it. Exactly, that's exactly my point. Right? And my point is, you know, like why would they allow the masses onto a peer-to-peer technology when they can just outlaw Bitcoin in some right, form think and then about... have people on their own? Yeah, there's there's a conceptual area here, right? Think about what it means for it to work to make something private. Okay, it, it, if something is actually private. Right. If if that is meaningful, then it is by definition not pro- possible to to pry into it. So if you have a technology that can actually make secure, make private something that you're doing, then the government could say that they want to regulate it all they want, but they they couldn't because they wouldn't even know who's using it because it would actually be private. Right. So so this this becomes impossible to regulate, which is why I said that, you know, it's kind of strange that American exchanges are self-regulating. They're, you know, imposing these, you know, AML and KYC uh, policies without being asked to. uh, And the reason why they're doing it is because they want to make this thing look more legitimate to investors. But the, the other side of this is that I, I would recommend people don't invest in cryptocurrency. Right, because they weren't de- developed so that you could have an investment. Right? They, they were developed so that you could use a currency. Right, you you don't invest in dollars. I mean, unless you're like a forex trader, but people don't look at dollars as an investment. They just use it. Right, it's a form of valuation. Right, it's the medium by which we exchange things. Is the dollar right? It's the same thing with any other currency. 
if you look at cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin in that way, then it, it's it's not like you know you wouldn't put it on an exchange first of all, um, and then when you use it, it it's not necessarily Bitcoin, but Monero is private, private, right? It's actually obscured, like nobody knows, right? Nobody knows that a transaction happened except the recipient. And it's over, right? Like that's that's the end of the you know conversation there. Governments can't do anything about that. Numbers don't reel. Numbers don't reel, that's correct. And as uh, Cicada just posted, an unknown amount of Monero. Right. Somebody would be able to forensically determine (laughs) somebody would be able to forensically determine that a transaction happened at a time. They wouldn't know the sender, recipient, or amount. Right. There are ways to kind of do that with Bitcoin. Not really. Um, Bitcoin can be followed through fairly traditional investigative techniques, which is on purpose. It's supposed to be a public ledger. Um, Monero is not though, <laughs> and you can't you can't trace it. So, um, you know, Monero is truly like digital cash, right? It's very hard to trace cash money, uh, which is why a lot of governments are making it illegal. I'm sure you guys have seen stuff on that as well. Um, when the uh, the Indian government uh, banned, uh, I want to say it was two years ago. They Monero, banned. Monero, um, I believe it was about a year, year. And a, if you're talking about cash, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah they banned I their it was highest. About a, year, a year ago. Yeah, they banned their two most popular denominations of their currency, and they gave people two days, forty-eight hours, to turn it in to the turn in their banknotes to the bank, uh, and then get that money refunded in their accounts or whatever their new currency was, their new digital currency. Um, the banks also closed during that time. <laughs> so the 48-hour window was like a fake way to say, we're giving you time to do this. Um, but really, they just overnight swept up the two most common denominations of their paper money and made it illegal and said that you can't use that anymore because they wanted a digital currency. The reason why governments want digital currency is because it's way easier to track. Um, they, it's very hard to track paper money. So they are just making it illegal. Uh, Um, The problem with that, though, is that in India, as an example, in Argentina and Venezuela and all of these countries, in Greece when they did it, right? When they did it in India a year and a half, two years ago, whenever it was, uh, everybody said, oh, thanks, government. And then they just kept using the money because it was bad money. So there's um, a phenomenon in, in, in currency theory that or I guess just economic theory, but uh, there's a phenomenon with currency that good money doesn't get used, right? If you have a superior form of currency, it gets saved instead of used, right? Because if it's really valuable, people don't want to spend it. And that's kind of what's happening with cryptocurrencies. People are are holding it. Um, And so in, in India, they just kept using those notes. And eventually, over a few months, they depreciated in value but they're still being used. So, you know, when the government says that it bans something or makes it illegal, you know, they could go door to door and dig up your gold. 
but they can't go door to door and dig up your Bitcoin because I I have paper like I have pieces of paper with private keys written on them, and that's the only place on the planet where the the coin physically exists. Right? So unless you found that piece of paper and also knew that the random looking numbers on it were a private key, then you wouldn't know that that paper is money. So g- governments can't just take this away. It, the, the Bitcoin network as well updates blocks. Um, doesn't just uh, send out transmissions, but that, updates that, blocks that now using my, radio that, network. That, that goes back to my point at the beginning. They don't have to take it away. I mean, like your money can remain on that piece of paper as long as they stop you from using it or having rules that will um, scare you shitless from using it, then they've accomplished their goal. I don't think that's a meaningful sentence. I don't know what it means to say that you could stop somebody from trans transmitting a Bitcoin transaction. Uh, you know, like what? What are you even thinking would happen in order to stop that? What could you do? What if I fucking bullied you? What could you do? <laughs> it's like one of those, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, like uh, what? The government says that they'll beat you up. It's okay, but how? <laughs> the, 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 where where would this even come from? Like, well, in, in Florida, for example, um, they have outlawed uh, Bitcoin. Um, you know, transactions. And, and they flat out said in the press release that because they think that it threatens the monetary system. But I mean, good luck trying to enforce that, right? Like, right. I know Flo- said, uh, Floridian traders. I know people in Florida right now using Bitcoin. So, <laughs> I mean, again, Visa, oh, yeah, definitely, Visa. like, so... <laughs> I'm one of them. <laughs> well, I mean, no, that, 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 that's that's my point exactly. Is that you know, just just having it as against the law will deter a a portion of people who are you know, let's call them law-abiding citizens from what's called pussies or pussies. Yeah, okay, right? this is this is a really but, good okay. uh, again again. Uh, like you said, you know, like there are many people who are diehard cryptos who are just going to use it regardless, right? And but but that well, it's the, not diehard crypto. So I think this is a very. Hmm. It's interesting to see where's that feedback coming from. It's very interesting to see how people's perception of privacy plays. It's very interesting to see how privilege plays into people's perception of privacy. So, in the English-speaking first-world countries, um, we feel safe enough and secure enough in our currency and in the way that our governments treat us that. Our currency that we already have is fine, and our governments aren't going to systematically fuck us to a point where that becomes a question. The the currency becomes a question. But in most places on the planet, that isn't the case. Okay, more, more than half of the people on this planet are completely unbanked, right? And another billion plus... Are are only partially banked. They they have banking systems that they have the average citizen has access to, but it's in one currency only and within one border only. Right. The the power banking that the Western world has, and by Western I mean Northern Europe and America or North America. Right. That's a very limited, uh, narrow thing. That's not most people. Most people have a real problem 
with their currency and with their trust of their government. Um, so it's not diehard cryptocurrency fans. It's people whose money doesn't work. And their governments have banned cryptocurrencies, but there are beggars in you know Argentina, Venezuela, that take Bitcoin <laughs> because it's a more reliable currency. I think I think and Greece actually is a really big one too. Greece has forty percent haircut overnight. Dinar uh, is probably one of the best currencies you can generate. What do you mean by that? Just kidding. Oh, okay. Uh, it's essentially worthless. Yeah, I was, I was confused for a second. Uh, yeah, uh, Dubai, for example. Um, Dubai is only one of the three Emirates. I believe the other two have actually adopted this as well, but Dubai has its own cryptocurrency, um, state-backed currency. It, it's not actually a cryptocurrency because it's a centralized state-backed, you know, et cetera, you know, permissioned, not open, uh, bordered currency. But, it, you know, they have their own... Uh, distributed digital currency, so, and so does Moscow. Uh, so does uh, you know Venezuela now. The more limited Russia's, versions. Russia's actually been working really closely with uh, Vitlak, the dude from Ethereum, to Vitalik, yeah. uh, establish. Uh, if you watch uh, interviews of Vitalik, he's a uh, like clearly touched guy. Well, the thing is, he's not the most autistic. He's autistic, but he, if you if you only listen to him and you make up for the cadence, you go, oh, no, he's having a normal conversation, right? But if you watch him, he's clearly moon-touched. He's, he's also clearly a genius. He's not a retard. He knows everything that yeah. there is to know. But, um, he, you know, there's something going on there. <laughs> Oh, yes. Cicada just linked something for you guys. It's the AQ. It's the um, autism spectrum quotient. We would appreciate it if all of you took this test right now. It's, uh, it's mandatory. <laughs> I got a full five. <laughs> hey, Pipsy, though. Yeah, Vitalik is a genius, though. The, the way that he's trying to implement... Sorry, go ahead. It, I was just going to say it's weird. You're totally right. When you watch him, it, like it's like he's he, he can have a totally normal conversation, but it's like he's not there. He's like he's always somewhere else. Yeah, he is somewhere else. Um, I haven't finished my food. Chimichanga. Well, what's moonshine, man? Oh, so Chimichangas good. are so good. Hmm. What you never know, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's too bad Rogue isn't here. Be able to make more oh, jokes. For real, man. What's, uh, what's Moonshine? Mm -hmm. Spice, if you're ever down my way, I'll get you some Moonshine. What's good? Oh, fuck, that was a big bite. All right. Um, Clearly, you've never watched the show on Discovery. I ain't watching on TV. Expensive. <laughs> what do you do instead? Um, uh, spice. Snacks, you want to talk about uh, 
the monetary system you came up with for uh, snuff? Yes, uh, there was a point <clears throat> that I was supposed to finish right now, though, that I forgot because I was chewing. Vitalikbuterin, Ethereum. Uh, they have a very interesting roadmap. I don't know how closely you guys follow this. I care way more about the technology side than I do the price. Ethereum is an amazing, beautiful technology um, because it solved the other half of the problems that Bitcoin didn't by being Turing complete. Additionally, what they're doing now um, is they're they're implementing a sharding system. So the the problem with proof of work traditionally is that um, it takes a lot of space and it takes a lot of time, right? The, the Bitcoin blockchain right now is like two hundred gigabytes plus, you know, of, of information. And so if you want to run a full node and sync with the, the with the network, that's you know a few days of letting your computer catch up. Um, and that's obviously not very feasible if you want a truly scalable network. So what Vitalik and a bunch of other developers, it wasn't just him, but what they're trying to implement now is a sharding system. So you don't need to sync the entire blockchain for every single node in order to secure the network. right? You particularly might only have to sync 1% of it. And as long as five other people have that 1%, and as long as five other people have every other percent, then the network is secure in the same proof-of-work fashion. It's just spread out differently. And it's way, way faster. Um, they're looking at an increase of like 10,000 times more transactions uh, per minute. Um, it's way, way faster. Um, and they can do way more with it, right? Uh, so that's a big deal and that's going to happen within i think the next year and then probably within a few months after that maybe half a year they're also looking to start switching into proof of stake which is interesting the way that they're trying to do it so so what about atomic swaps? well atomic swaps are just currency to currency what do you mean What about them? Oh, I, I was just curious what you thought about it. I think that th there was um, an implementation for them in in their uh, in the BIP one of the BIP updates a long time ago, a few years ago, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's something that you can do with Bitcoin and a lot of other currencies now. Um, for those that don't know, an atomic swap is instead of using a third party or like an intermediary service um, for saying, I have X amount of Bitcoin, I want an equivalent amount of Monero or Ethereum. Um, and then that intermediary uh, service has just a bunch of all the currencies in liquidity and it'll make transactions for you. It'll send some back to you. Instead of doing that, an atomic swap allows you to directly um, send currency to a wallet and get a different kind of currency back. Um, which is great uh, because that obviates one of the last remaining features that exchanges had that normal users didn't. So there, there's almost no function that an, an exchange provides now um, that you can't get in a standard wallet client. I guess, I mean... Most people are just using Tether now anyway. Yeah, but that's more or less 
Tether's pretty gimmicky. The the parent company has had some pretty severe issues and like pseudo scandals that have happened because Tether is not backed by what they said it was backed by for a while. Uh, they sort of lied about the amount. Um, well, they did lie several times. Uh, well, it was basically just a giant Ponzi scheme, wasn't it? Mm, maybe for some of their investors, but it's self-propelling now, so I, I no longer, I haven't kept up with it on the company yeah, side. I don't know. Maybe Zill has something to say about that. Are, are you thinking of Tether or BitConnect? <laughs> I'm thinking of Tether. Yeah, I was talking about Tether too because I was under the impression that they, uh, I believe there was a, a lawsuit against BitPhoenix, if, if I recall correctly, because they were supposed to have X amount of dollars in, uh, you know, being mapped to the Tether or, or uh, you know, in some way, shape, or form. And it was actually more like 50% of whatever number that was supposed to be. And the other. Yeah, I think it was actually less than that. Yeah, it, yeah. And, and the other num the, the, the other part of that went into just buying more Bitcoin, right? So they were. The, the dollars that they were supposed to be having to represent the right. tether so, was just being cycled into the Bitcoin. So that's not necessarily an issue with tether. That's an issue with how Bitfinex ran their exchange and they were trying to cover their ass, their losses, basically. <laughs> so this, this is on their end, but it's still like you know it, it kind of undermines the value of tether, at least in my eyes, right? If, if they're able to do that. Yeah, well, so there, there is a real problem with Tether, which is that it has multiple times now completely decoupled from the dollar. Uh, so it's it, it, it the sole, for people listening that don't know, the sole purpose of Tether's existence was to have a digital currency, a cryptocurrency, um, that was directly tied to the dollar. So one unit of Tether would be worth one whole dollar. And the reason they did this was because you can now have exchanges that don't use any U.S. currency whatsoever or any fiat currency. And so you don't need KYC AML regulation on those exchanges. But you can exchange these te uh, these Tezos dollars, excuse me, the Tether uh, tokens effectively for U.S. dollars directly, which means that you can have completely unregulated exchanges where you're making U.S. dollars. Right, it was just basically a quick little jump over, skip in a hop loophole that these developers had for saying, okay, yes, governments, we know you want to regulate us and you're getting very upset and shutting some of these exchanges down. We'll just do it without you then. And then they did. And, and you know, that became even more aggravating for a lot of these regulators. Uh, but the, the problem with that, right, Tether, because it's supposed to be directly pinned to the U.S. dollar, um, they call this a stable coin. Um, I'm sure you guys have heard that term before, but I know a lot of people haven't. Because it's supposed to be that stable, um, if it ends up not being that stable, um, <laughs> then, then you have a real problem. It stops serving its function. Uh, and it has decoupled several times. It slipped a few pennies, which is a big deal because that means that's you know a couple percent margin that's completely slipped from the entire uh, market, and that has happened several times.
Uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I wonder if uh, you could uh, tether could be traded like a currency pair on forex with the dollar. You know, like how it how it's compared to the euro. That's that's how it's treated on a lot of these exchanges. I mean, I don't know if forex would want to include something that. Most for there's a few, but most forex exchanges I've seen very much are just traditional financial exchanges. They don't care about cryptocurrencies. They don't include stuff like that. There are other stable coins too. Um, Tether is just one. It's the biggest one by far. Uh, but there's others. There's stable coins that were supposed to be backed by gold um, that existed uh, for many years. Um, people have tried this. Um, whether or not that's useful, like the idea that it has to be backed by a physical asset is kind of strange um, to a lot of these people because they definitely don't look at this. Some, something else I'll say about this too that I, I've already said to you guys, but I'll repeat for the rest. The, again, this was a technological invention, right? It, it solved a problem with multiple problems with cryptography and with distributed computational systems. Okay, and so if you think about it as just a normal currency, you're going to see very strange behavior out of it, right? It doesn't behave like a typical stock or a commodity because it's not a stock or a commodity, right? It has fundamentally different properties. Um, the, the fact that no human hands are involved or could be involved in the supply already makes it radically different in behavior than a stock or any other commodity. So th there's, right, this isn't the same thing. We're saying that, that, that technical indicators uh, for crypto. Right, and I'll, I'll surmise that again too, because I think that's just a funny thing. But um, like TA, in my opinion, is most technical indicators are kind of like a roll of the dice. Um, I know a lot of people believe that if you just amalgamate a bunch of indicators, then the general trend would be true. But that also is kind of like flip a coin. Um, but for however accurate TA technical analysis is for traditional stocks, it's not even half as accurate for cryptocurrencies. They just don't behave the same way. And so a lot of traders I've seen from traditional finance have come in and said, oh, you know, this is just speculation, and this is just totally wild, random, volatile. It's just based on news articles. It, it's not, though, right? Because if you do it just on that way alone as well, you'll still get very strange behavior that doesn't track what I just described. So th there's something else going on here. Um, the, if you look at the halving cycle against stock to flow, which I'm sure you guys have seen, I could actually link that in a second as well. Um, if you look at that, right, uh, you, you get a very steady, very controlled, very predictable price movement um, over a long period of time. So it, it's it, there is something going on there. And Cicada just linked it for me. Thank you very much. Um, you can see there that there's an incredibly predictable uh, price movement going on. Right, there's a cycle that it goes through directly in relation to the having period of the technology, which I believe we're only we're less than 24 hours away from this next one. And for those that uh, don't know, 22. There we go. 
ish. It depends. There's a lot more trading going on right now because of it, and so the block times might be a little delayed. But um, so it might it might take a little longer than estimated. But for those that don't know, the having cycle is something that happens once every four years algorithmically. It's hard coded into the technology. There's no human hands involved. You can't change it. Every four years, the amount of reward or the supply of Bitcoin that gets minted per block that gets mined gets cut in half every four years. Uh, and so this obviously has an effect on the price because the supply gets cut in half from its regular issuance. Uh, this alone, again, makes it behave fundamentally differently than any stock or commodity. Um, but there's other things that the technology does that makes it behave differently. And, and to this is a very long tangent, but to tie it back to what initially prompted this. Uh, if I finish waking up and remember, uh, I, I just had it. Train of thought got derailed. Uh, now I got RAV lyrics going through my head. This is not good. Uh, <laughs> that's a bad reference. Nobody's going to get that. Nobody listens to RAV. No offense to him. But uh, <laughs> there's um, <laughs> different technology. Oh, the whether or not something backs it. That's what I was on. So um, there's other things going on with the technology. The, the idea that something needs to back this like a physical asset like gold, which by the way, gold does not back the majority of the US dollar. Nothing does, except people's faith in the US government that it'll still accept the dollar tomorrow. Right? That's what backs the US dollar is blind faith. Um, and when the trifling dilemma, which I brought up earlier, when that resolves, the US dollar will not work anymore, necessarily. This is the law in economics. Right? It, whenever you have a currency set as the world reserve currency, it will necessarily become debased and over leveraged to the point of of non-use, right? It won't be valuable anymore. Uh, and that they've tried to mitigate that. They've very successfully put that off for a very long time with the U.S. dollar. They sure are trying their darndest to make sure that it doesn't happen. But they're just putting it off. Eventually, it will happen. And then we're going to have a very big issue where this thing that apparently every country is so reliant on, which is the U.S. dollar, um, stops being valuable at all or useful for you know leveraging debt so then we're going to have a power vacuum and whatever currency replaces that would would sort of shift the tides of global political decision making but um that can't happen with bitcoin or similar cryptocurrencies it can happen with some of them because some of them just mint money like nothing but Bitcoin, right? There's never going to be more than 21 million coins. And eventually these halving cycles will actually stop. It, it'll be cut in half so many times that it just won't produce any anymore. And the tap will dry up. And now you have a definite supply forever. Um, so that, that also changes. So what backs Bitcoin is also different than normal currencies because it's not just faith in it, right? It's a technology that is useful as a technology for myriad reasons um, and will continue to be used for the technological side of it. And as long as the technology keeps getting used, 
that makes it look like the currency is getting used because the, the distinction between the protocol, the network, and the currency is not so clear for a lot of people. So as long as the technology is getting used, the currency is getting used. And, th and that's why it was made this way, by the way. That wasn't a mistake, right? That was on purpose. He even talks about it in the white paper when he invented it, right? The, the, the idea that you could market a car without, like, there's something that needs to propel this. Right? It wasn't a mistake that he decided to make it a currency, right? Because using the technology or using the currency then makes use of the other, right? One one makes use of the other, so it's self-propelling in a way that has never existed before, right? It's inherently valuable in a way that has never existed before, right? If you want to talk about like the six traditional properties of currency, the way that Plato and Aristotle bro broke it down. Right, Bitcoin outperforms fantastically on all of them compared to gold or the you know fiat currency, right? By like more than an order of magnitude. Right? It's a fundamentally, it's a new invention. It's a new technology, right? So people got to really understand that and understand what the differences are, right? If if they're going to talk about like investing in it, because it's not going to behave normally. Um, and in the white paper, I I also just want to iterate this point too. Satoshi didn't talk about it in these words. Um, Andreas has talked about it in these words, but it's a very accurate way to describe it, right? When the internal combustion engine was invented uh, and the horse and buggy companies were, you know, uh, lobbying against it and also putting out a lot of advertisements saying, yes, these new car things are cool, but the internal combustion engine is just a fad. Really, it's the pneumatic tire that's interesting. You guys should, you know, look at that. You know, the internal combustion engine is, you know, whatever. We're still going to use horses, right? This, this, these are literal arguments that they gave. Um, and obviously, nobody gets to work on a horse except some, you know, equestrian freaks. But the disproportionate majority of people have never seen a horse in their life. Right? That's a radical change in an entire industry that happened over a very short period of time. Okay, so when people tell you, oh, you know, this Bitcoin thing is really interesting because the blockchain, oh, you know, the blockchain technology, we could use that. But the currency aspect of it, eh, ignore that. That's not very important. No, the currency aspect of it is the internal combustion engine. It's the reason why this thing is being propelled forward, literally and metaphorically. Right? So there's, we got to really understand what's going on here, right? This, this currency is inherently valuable. Um, because the technology is being used and it solves so many problems, et cetera, they, they, it's self-propelling, right? It's like the internal combustion engine, right? It, it moves forward on its own. Nothing pulls it. So th there's unusual things that happen with this entity. Um, and my point now, I think I've beaten you over the head with it, is that you just got to be careful of the nuances there. Because it's not the same as stocks or commodities. You guys let me talk too long. I talk too much. I'll just keep going. You got to interrupt me at some point. This is <laughs> Dude, I told you if you fucking saw your face on my screen again.
doing it on accident. <laughs> oh. You look like you're from Kentucky. Yeah, tell me about it. I don't have shoes on either. I didn't see your face, man. Jeez. What up? Hey, when you see this face. It doesn't matter anyways because uh, economics is retarded. Here's actually something that you guys might find interesting. Uh, I have a, a goal here today. I won't consider uh, this talk, interview, whatever. I won't consider this successful. Unless by the end of it, we've convinced one of you that studying finance or economics is retarded and meaningless, and you've take up a different hobby in life. Uh, I also think that unless you're a billionaire, you probably don't have a whole lot of real substantive things to say about what people should be investing in. <laughs> I really think there's maybe like a dozen people on the planet that anybody should care about when talking about economics or or specifically finance. But yeah, economics is only important or valuable so far as we maintain uh, certain relations to capital. And the thing that you brought up earlier, different uh, the currency thing uh, that we invented, uh, if, you, if you change the medium by which capital moves, if you change valuation, the properties of valuation, then you're going to get fundamentally different economic principles, which is not to say you can suppose a new economic framework to explain things. Instead, what I'm saying here is that you will have different economics. Right? Things will just fundamentally behave differently. So one of the things, that, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on with this, right? The, the Snurks website is a collection of a lot of very disparate projects, 30-something across you know, lots of different disciplines. But one of the things that we've worked on in the Table Society that we've had lectures and stuff on uh, is, is on how currency is supposed to work. We've done that a lot in a lot of good detail, more so than the way economics is supposed to work. And so one of the things that we found is, is what I just described, where if, if you know, there's plenty of people that want to debate like political economic theory, like capitalism versus communism, and it's very difficult to really see a hard distinction between them. If there is a classical dis uh, critique of of Marxist theory on on capital, it's that so long as you have capital, you will have capitalism. Right? Capital will always behave like capital. So saying that you know we should change the way the logistical distribution of it as if that's going to change the fact that it's capital that doesn't work right so if instead you change the means by which things are valuated right then you also no longer have capital right you have a, a new kind of thing right and this moves through a new kind of medium right at least in 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 theory uh so one of the things that we've worked on is is uh, we 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 made the same mistake that the Bitcoin developers did. We called it something that is ambiguous. We call it percent, right? And obviously, we we named it after that because it, it does have an ideological relation to 
a mathematical function whereby something is a ratio out of a whole. So percent was seemed like a good way to name it. Uh, however, um, percent also is percent. And so when you tell people that you're sending them percent and they say percent of what, and it sort of breaks down. Uh, uh, so for the rest of this, I'm just going to call it perk, um, just to clarify it, or maybe sense, I don't know. But we we designed, we ideated and designed um, a currency framework, right? Not an economic framework, but a, a new kind of currency, a new way to evaluate things. And it's probably more fair to call it a system of credit rather than a system of currency because the, the properties are that different. But we designed a new currency that is issued, minted, and sunk directly in proportion to the number of the people in the system that would use it. Meaning if you were a government and you had 10 citizens, right, and each citizen had 10 units of this currency, um, then as soon as a new person joined, there'd be 110 units total. As soon as one of those people died, 10 units would be sunk, and now you'd be back to 100 units total. So it, inf it expands and contracts and inflates and deflates directly in proportion to the number of people in the system. right? And the way that we're doing it now is that there's 100 whole units uh, divisible out to four decimals, 100 whole units per person in the system, which means that at, at every given moment in time, there is an exact average of 100 units per capita of this currency in the system which means that you have a directly proportionate relation, numerical relation, to anything that you would use or transact with that currency. So that obviously has strange properties, um, which we think we've accounted for most of them, but you know, we don't want to just say that that's foolproof. Uh, we, we are using it. We're testing it. It's getting used in a game that uh, we made uh, to, we're using this game to test a bunch of different things, bunch of disparate projects that we worked on. We just put them all into the game. Um, but the game is effectively letting us use this currency and test it and see um, how effective it is and whether or not it, there's any deleterious properties that we didn't account for. But yes, it's, it, it, People are being very silent. <laughs> this is strange. I'm just talking into a void. Play that video game with you, man. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, shit. I lost, though. <laughs> you talking about Stratic? Yeah. Well, Stratic is... um the, the, the main game that we're using to test this is Snuff. Stratic is like a small board game that we made. To test um, other more can narrow. You, can you explain Snuff real quick so people don't think that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, well, it's named Snuff after like Snuff, like really raw, grotesque, violent. Uh, you know that aesthetic. It's named after that. Um, it's also named Snuff because there's a, a powder in the game that you sound like spice in um, the the Dune series, um, and because you sniff it, it's it's called Snuff. But um, it's it's just a like a video game or like an MMO type thing. It's we're starting it as a tabletop RPG just to test like 
fun basic mechanics, but it's basically just a game that we made um, where you have a character and the character can progress through the world of the game. Um, but it's made in a way that is supposed to track very realistic interactions that we have predicted and expect to happen um, given talks that we've had about uh, and lectures that we've had about um, things projected to happen in 50 to 100 years of actual human existence. So these are things that we expect to encounter in the real world in 50 to 100 years. And so it's a science fiction game, not a science fantasy game. And there's a real distinction there. A lot of people think that, uh, you know, sci-fi is just sci-fi. Most sci-fi things, most books that you read, most uh, TV shows and movies, it's actually science fantasy, right? It's just a bunch of like magical technology shit that they made up to play out a fantasy narrative. Whereas science fiction is supposed to be like, this is what we actually have. What are strange things that might result from it? So it's like Star Trek versus Star Wars, I guess, is a, a way to think about it. Uh, we're, we're looking at things. Most of the things in the snuff game are actual technologies that we already have. So like one of the things that we've uh, talked before about was uh, faster than faster than light communication. So instantaneous communication over any amount of space. Right? That's something that we actually already have, uh, not publicly, but uh, that's a technology that exists. And so if that was just commercially available and everybody had access to it, okay, what would society look like, right? That, things like that are what we're trying to figure out by playing this game. Um, and the currency used in this game is this directly proportional, uh, dynamically inflating and deflating, minting and sinking currency. One of the th reasons why that currency is also interesting is because it means that everything you would purchase with it, so long as the supply of the thing you're purchasing is stable, maintains its price indefinitely. So if a loaf of bread is 1% or one unit of this currency, for example, um, then 100 years from now, it'll still be one unit of that currency because the, the currency isn't changing, right? Um, the, or the purchasing power, the direct valuation that is provided by having a currency as a medium of exchange, right? That is directly, absolutely proportional, right? So there's there's strange mechanics that come out of that. Yeah, no cap. That's this one thing that we're testing with this video game called Snuff. Where's the energy you get? Jesus Christ, there's fucking dead air on your pocket. You guys aren't talking. This is crazy. Well, Danny's like in the car, and, and, and I don't know why Chin's being so quiet. Um, look, look, ultimately, I don't think anything we're talking about matters right now. Because in 50 years, none of our governments are going to exist, okay? Like, the, really these monsters, <laughs> these, these animals... <laughs> That, that are doing things out in the world, right? I'm not even talking about people that run society. I'm just talking about people that kill people, right, in mass. Uh, we, we're just going to be, this is, look, we're on a, uh, an illegal global lockdown right now of which the, the, the middle and lower class money has been swept out from underneath them in a single movement 
faster and more extremely, more deeply into their pockets than any other event in human history. And if anybody thinks that we're just going to go back to being normal, that everything's going to be fine, the U.S. dollar won't collapse, that we're, you know that this is all just you know fucking easy, nothing serious happening. You know, it'd be very fortunate that all of life's problems are salient. It would be very convenient that these things are easily and readily understood. But it's not. There, there's, there's other problems happening here. Um, and, like, fuck, oh, geez. Dude, I'm not really sure. The people are dead, but, but the money keeps talking, right? Uh, the, the people on the money that designed this system, right, that, that secured their being through this mechanism that is destroying us. <laughs> Their, their faces are on it, right? The, the people are dead, but the money keeps talking, right? The, the, there's, the, the, there's a real problem happening that does not get solved by, you know, looking at pork belly futures and should I invest in, uh, you know, like a lot of this very small, otherwise trivial and very arbitrary shit. Like the dollar bill is nature's suicide note, okay? They, they say that everybody should keep spending during this lockdown so that our economy doesn't collapse. Right? And Elon Musk was on fucking Joe Rogan's podcast saying, look, it's very simple. If people don't make things, then there's no things. Right? It's not that simple. Right? There are things that we value that aren't made right? or exist perpetually forever without any human involvement required. Right? There's an entire component to human existence, more than half of which, I would argue, um, which is not physical. Right or not physical in a directly tangible sense. Right, the, our culture and the content we make, people care about way more than having nice bed sheets. Right, it's not a matter of just producing raw, gaudy materials that these fucking boomers eat up and have destroyed our ecosystems with. Right, like there, there's something else happening here, and 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 that too will collapse if we keep feeding these really gaudy environmentally destructive or it's not even the environment that doesn't matter it's 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 psychologically destructive as well i suppose but like this whole thing the invisible hand why is it invisible right why is nobody in charge of it what does it mean to have a metahuman right to have an economic is to have the the meta will of the general populace's decision right so there, there there's something else going on here that's not any individuals and it's not like a structural thing it's not something that we consciously steer, right? And if we don't tap into that, if we don't learn how to control that and figure out what the fuck is going on with that, we're going to have these very, very deleterious consequences that we're seeing with things like happening right now where, you know, 20% haircut overnight. How did that happen? Who knows? It was just a bad virus, right? Like, no, there's something else going on there. Like, there's, there's a real issue <laughs> that I feel like... um and even when talking right see again totally uninterrupted right this energy shouldn't be uh i didn't want to interrupt you but um i mean what what do you i I don't know like all the economic data and projections the impact from everything that's happened from this virus um you know i I think the government's like luring everybody into a false sense of hope like shit's gonna get really fucked real soon 
Right. So we we talked about this with like um, when Snowden came out, or th this is a parallel, an analogous case. When Snowden came out with the information that the government was spying on you, hard concrete evidence that the government was spying on you, um, people said, wow, yes, hard evidence. But everybody that worked in that space, anybody that was like a software engineer, even at the lowest level, everybody knew that for like one to two decades before Snowden ever made an announcement. It was like an open secret. It's the same thing with most economics, right? I mean, economists have been saying this for several decades that there's a mounting problem with the way that currency and debt is handled. The, the fact that, right, we call them dollar bills. Why are they bills? Well, it's an actual debt certificate, right? right? Having your system of valuation be debt certificates and think that that wouldn't be problematic in the long run, right? That itself is a, a mistake that was committed. And economists have been pointing this out, right? The, the, the 08, technically 07 predicated financial bubble that burst, right? Was the housing market. Well, all of those regulations and control, most of them, a lot of those controls have been lifted since then, right? And they were only on housing for the most part to begin with. But that same problem has occurred once again in housing, but has also spread this time to student loans, to car loans, to insurance, right? I mean, with our debt bubble right now is, what, 20 times bigger than 08? It's the largest debt bubble that's ever existed in all of human history if you put them all together. So how right? large do like, you think is, go? I don't – so that's the only question – that I suppose would be meaningful, right? Because it's like, if you could predict that, um, then you're going to end up with a lot more money after it pops than everyone else. But uh, I like, I like I, to use the analogy of an invisible line. It's an invisible line of sentiment or trust. Once it gets crossed, the system will collapse. And, and I don't nobody, think and nobody knows where that line is because that, it's like saying how big can this system continue to go into debt? Who knows? What are we? What, yeah, I don't what, think what are we it's at? Like a trust trillion? issue. It's literally that if you look, if you, it, it's this isn't literally what's happening. But if you think of it as these being kind of like Ponzi schemes where they run out of customers to cheat out of their money to cover their losses. Then you see something break down, which is like Lehman Brothers, right? That it was the 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 most direct and obvious example that people point to with the 08 housing issue, right? Right, but, it, but it's to, just but to your point earlier when you said like half the world is still unbanked, right? So when you're saying you're oh okay, so part of my reason for bringing that up too, um, and you know we we're, I'm jumping all over the place here, but part of my reason for bringing up the the unbanked thing wasn't just that you know people. But it's true, though. It's true. I mean, like, right, a, right, a good portion of the world is unbanked. There's a second move. A good portion of the world there's is unbanked, and a good portion of the world is not, like, latent in debt, right? Like, if you were to divide the U.S. debt to well, per citizen, more or less. to per citizen, yeah, right? Yeah, so there's, there was a second movement happening with that statement, though. So so half of the world being unbanked was, was partly, I brought that up, just to, sh to demonstrate that there's plenty of people that wouldn't care about government saying, you know, I'm going to fucking be mad at you if you use cryptocurrency the, the the other half was that um there's like a gilded cage of of central banking right there's the the on and off ramps to the banking system the international banking system are are very rough 
Um, it's very difficult to get in if you don't start as being in, and it's rather difficult to get out, actually, unless you know what you're doing. Right. Um, but plenty of people are now saying, let's find, you can keep your gold cage. Right. I don't want it anymore. I, I don't need it. it. It's We don't care. It's, it's done nothing but otherwise be a fairly oppressive institution on society, globally speaking. Not necessarily for the countries that have it, but globally speaking, it's been fairly oppressive. And, you know, like economic hitmen exist, and that's usually through banking systems, right? So when governments implode now, it's not because of war, it's because of financial collapse, but that's a targeted action by central banks and by other governments. So this thing that people think that they want, right? Like it's actually quite... um, there's an inverse action happening here where lots of people are saying, you know what, no thanks, they, they, they don't care anymore, right? We have other things that we're just going to use. It doesn't matter. Right? They've sort of like given up on it. And I think that basically the, the quote-unquote global collapse um, will really affect a lot of the first world and will more or less have very little effect on the rest of the world because they won't be as hurt by central banks collapsing because they don't use central banks or they they don't use internationally you know powerful conglomerate banks so i i think that you know this this big bubble if and when it does pop um will will result in a lot of people about half of the people on the planet being fairly less affected by it and just going on business as usual because they already have alternative systems like cryptocurrency. Um. The other half will be eating shit, though. Don't get me wrong. The other half will have a real goddamn problem. Uh, but but I think I think there's a good chunk of our planet that will actually be fine. And ironically, it'd be the ones that were unbanked because they're the least. Uh, they would be the least devastated, directly devastated. Those will still feel the effect, but it'll be more like a ripple effect. It won't be as direct, consequentially. So, what what do you think? Um, I mean, what what do you think is going to happen with uh, with the economy? in our society within the next year. No idea. Um, I mean, all I know is what we just saw already happen, right? We know that we have this massive debt bubble that they are very successfully mitigating. They've been playing that for a very long time. And it seems to be working. The The issue is... It, it's, it's remarkable, honestly. I mean, yeah, it, it's insane. Uh, Bad news comes out. Unemployment goes through the roof, highest it's been since 2010. They they claim it's 14.7%, I think, but it's probably oh, really actually, the numbers I've read are it's around 30s. Yeah, not just uh, since 2010, since the 1930s. Well, there's, yeah. there's two ways to explain that. I mean, number one, if you're looking short term, the, the bad news has been factored into the markets. So that's why, I don't believe that's that. That's why when the news drops, you had the markets going up instead of going down because it was already factoring in the bad news. 
No, I think there's people playing the market. That's a small handful of brokers that are really the only active people in stocks, and they're playing that. And so the, right. I don't they're, think well, stocks they're, really they're playing. They're, they're playing the fact that they already knew that the market, the economy was going to be bad, right? So when the data comes back, comes out, you know, it's already been factored in. The, the, the second, I reason, suppose, but that's what what you're saying is being factored in. There is like speculation, like emotional reaction, and that's all they're playing. Right, yeah. Right, exactly. Whether or not that's those a, stocks actually reaction. track anything. That, that's a short-term right, like, reaction of the market when the data comes out, right? That's why there's two... So the, the economy out. hasn't actually... Balanced, but like, let's, let's be very clear and careful here. The stock markets are not the economy. Right? Using stocks as a metric of what the economy is doing is a very poor idea. 100%. There's and, a reason why the Federal Reserve fucking removes the stock market from their tracking of how the economy does, right? It's just the stock market has been pushed into a fucking limelight because Trump has been using the stock market as a barometer for how the economy is performing, right. which is a complete disconnect because the only people invested in the stock market are fucking banks and wealthy people. And I'm glad that you agree with me here, but that's a direct counterpoint to what you were saying, right? It, it, stocks bounced and stocks are getting played. The economy hasn't. Right, and, no, and, and what I'm what I'm saying, my, my point about the stock move is that it's a very short-term knee-jerk reaction to the data when it's coming out, right? So if you're a short-term day trader and you don't understand the move, it's because it was factored in already from a short-term perspective. Now, from a long-term perspective, the reason why the stock market is going up is because you got an abundance of free money being printed out everywhere around the world, right? And low interest rates, right? So if you're a funds manager over negative, in Asia... Negative interest rates. Or negative, bond. right? So, yeah, so to, to, my, to my point is that if you're a fund manager over in Asia and Europe and you're getting access to all this free capital from your central bank, where are you going to put that money? Where are you going to invest that money? You're going to invest it in the European markets, in the bond market, in the housing market, in the currency market? If you're a fund manager over in Asia, where are you going to put that money? Are you going to put it in the Japanese economy? No, you're going to take that money. You're going to put it in the best fucking stock market in the world. And that's so the again, I think stock let's be very careful, right? We, we've just established, right? The thing that they're printing, which they're not physically printing, but whatever, the, the, the money, right, is a debt certificate, right? It's I owe you, the government, uh, this amount of, you know, this number that's on the bill. Right, so yeah, they're printing a lot of money and then handing it out to people. That doesn't mean that we've actually solved like these not, fundamental nothing. Nothing problems. has been solved. I, I completely agree with you there in terms of economic fundamentals. Nothing has been solved. It's just a matter of kicking the can down the road, so to speak, and the abundance of free money that's being available right now. If you get access to it, yes. man, you're 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 throwing that money where you can get a yield. Right, and the only place you can get a yield that's above zero is, in terms of like the safest asset, will probably be the U.S. bond market, or if okay. you're, or if you're risky, you'll probably, you'll probably put it in the U.S. stock market. Here's something that I'm trying to attack here, right? You say that this is safe, right? You can move that money into some other asset, but if what I'm saying is true, it is the the mode by which we evaluate things is debt. Right, is the U.S. is some sort of fiat currency, right? Then when you move that value into some other asset, by bonds, for example, which is effectively the same thing, um, or whatever, like it, I, I'm not sure. It does not seem clear that when the dollar collapses, the rest of the shit doesn't go with it. 
right? If if the mode by which we evaluate things stays as debt, right? It, it's not clear that when the bubble pops, that anything bounces back from that. It's just the bubble pops, and now we don't have a bubble anymore. Like when you pop a real bubble, it doesn't. Oh, now we have more bubbles. No, it's gone forever. Right? The the identity of that bubble is lost. Right? It died. Uh, <laughs> but you, you get what I'm saying. The, the, Absolutely. It, it's very likely that something similar will happen to to our actual global economy. Right? It, it's not just that we'll lose some assets and then 50 years we'll have made more. It's We're going to lose a kind of thing. Right, that kind of thing won't even exist anymore, right? Or if it does, it won't have any use anymore. People won't won't care about it. So, I think there's again, it would be very fortunate that all of life's problems are salient. But but it it, it seems pretty. It, it seems to be the case that it's not. And and you gotta really. Be really careful when you think about this stuff, because if the ultimate goal is to make more money, we say that's more U.S. dollars, but we also agree that dollars are effectively and certainly ultimately meaningless and actually remove any sort of value from the system because it's debt, then why are we really sure that that's the thing that's that's going to work out in the end for us? Like, I, I don't. There seems kind of like a double consciousness going on there. You right. see what I'm saying? Absolutely, absolutely. So let me ask you this. If you had a choice, what would you rather buy, gold or Bitcoin? Well, I wouldn't buy it. So again, I don't look at it as an investment. Maybe maybe in this context, the way I've been talking for the last 10 minutes here, maybe <laughs> we would look at it as an investment, but I don't view it as an investment. Right? It's something that has use value a utility. A utility in the current environment. Well, well, forever. It'll always be useful until we just don't need decentralized distributed ledger systems anymore. Well, right? if, so if, if you're holding it forever, then by definition, it is an investment, right? Well, I wouldn't hold it forever. I, I would just use it like I am now. Right? So, so you here's another note. It as, as a means of trade. I mean, and a trade is just a short-term investment. Um... I mean, like the only difference between a trade and if investment. If you wanted to stretch the definition of those words, I suppose, but I'm not sure that it would be fair to really treat it that way, right? So, it, if your currency, right, it, the etymology is not necessarily like this, but it, the word "current," right, as in like a tide, like movement, right, is is part of where some of that uh, ideation was, was was supposed to be. So, like. It's not supposed to be held on to forever, right? It wouldn't be value if the thing. Okay, this is a valuation system, right? It's it's a medium by which we value things, right? So if you hold on to it, thinking that it's going to value itself, right? That's a very strange claim, right? So it, it it's it it doesn't get more valuable because more people hold on to it that's not actually what happens with currency it's that no it gets more valuable it gets more valuable because more people demand it 
more or less, yes. So, and some other stuff. But so, I I don't think that you should be investing in stuff. I mean, if if you're looking at this like um like a prepper, like you think the world's going to end, and you want to be able to buy water and food in the post-apocalyptic, you know, zombie environment that's, or that's whatever. That's the fucking ultimate fucking commodity right there, water, which nobody fucking talks about. Well, or, there's, there's I mean, you could still use... Uh, I'm sorry? Yeah, I mean... You could still use what? You could still use dollars. I mean, in, in a post-apocalyptic environment, you could still trade with anything. I mean, you could use clamshells like they did in early America. Like, it wouldn't well, matter. I mean, you can trade ass. I mean, even ass is a fucking commodity, right? My my point is in a post to an extent. Um, Except it's not a uniform commodity. It's not one dollar <laughs> equals one dollar, right? Different asses have different values, so that's not quite well, <laughs> effective as a currency. But it comes down, it to, how, it comes down to how good you can sell that ass, right? <laughs> yeah, but you don't have to. You don't have to worry about selling your dollar, right? You know that it'll be accepted everywhere. Right. So, but but my. So my, if, you, if you're if you're a pimp in the post-apocalyptic zombie society. You shouldn't, you shouldn't, right? If you're worried about whether or not people are going to accept your currency, that's a problem. Right. Because right? well, that's, that's life or death. My, my, my point, um, going back to the water scenario, is that water is an overlooked commodity that people just, you know, use. Yes, but it's also readily available, so much so that. Readily even available only in certain places in the world. Not anymore. There's very, very easy ways to collect and clean water. And. I feel like people that are going to still be alive after the apocalypse are going to be people that were that knew how to do that anyways. Otherwise, they wouldn't have survived that long. So I don't think water would be a currency. Um, I think that that medical supplies might be perishable medical supplies that are hard to produce or manufacture. That might be something more interesting. However, you would have to maintain an actual production of those somehow. And we're assuming that capital is just completely bro- broken down and so is the infrastructure. I think that if you just want a standard currency for basic shit, right, most everything that works now would still work in the apocalypse. But if you want, right, so there's, I don't think there's a lot of good, like, long-term arguments. The, what wouldn't work is things that are too readily available, like water. Um, what wouldn't work is if they keep printing the U.S. dollar and they hyperinflate it, like many other pl- places we've talked about already right. today. And then any place that you walk into in an English, uh, what used to be an English-speaking country, but is now you know the apocalyptic wasteland. If you walk into any structure and they just have briefcases and wheelbarrows full of that currency, then it, you can't really use that for trading anymore because it's too available. It needs to be scarce. Right, um, kind of like the trillion dollar Zimbabwe dollar. Was it the? Yeah. <laughs> I want to get my hands on that currency. How many? Anything. How many if layers it, of inflation are you on, my guy? If if, if anybody three hundred or four hundred percent, ha That is like little baby. Look at this. <laughs> if, if, if anybody's Probably watching on Zimbabwe the fucking internet, really fucked. If anybody's watching on the internet, I, I want I want a fucking trillion dollar Zimbabwe bill just as a souvenir. Yeah, I don't. Uh, the <laughs> As a souvenir, it, man, it's worth. It, man, it's not even. It, it, toilet paper is probably worth more than that shit. Is it like five bucks USD? It's like a trillion Zimbabwean dollars. So, so it's one roll of toilet paper. 
So I guess I'll have to fold. I guess I'll have to fold that if I need to wipe my ass with it. Yeah, this this also shows you the somewhat arbitrary nature of and really artificial aspects of our economy. Is that you know it, it's a trillion dollars? Okay, well, how do you know or trillion Zimbabwean dollars? How do you know it's a trillion? Like, how do you know it was hyperinflated? Well, it says one with that many zeros on it on, on the little note. Okay, well, those are being printed at the same rate and at the same proportion as their dollar note used to be printed. Okay, well, we're effectively still using the same thing now because it's in the same proportion. It just has a different sign on it so where what does hyperinflation really affect right like because the the average person using it right if those if, if those paper dollars are printed and they use it Dude, the average right then they're still you know buying the loaves of bread is. with it well what i'm what i'm saying is right the the thing that it hits is whether or not the government can start covering things well, the government has been covering things. I mean, I'll give you a good example. No, I mean, I mean, when like Zimbabwe hyperinflated, the government couldn't cover anything anymore. That's that's what the inflation really affected. Right. But I'll, I'll tell and you how. And then it affected citizens after the government collapsed. Well, let, let me tell you how the Federal Reserve covers things, right? I mean, like, I'll give you an example, okay? If the stock market goes up in value, that's not considered inflation. But in theory, that's what inflation means, right? And at the price of an asset, in this case, shares, or in this case, if you say the stock market, meaning the overall market, the S&P 500, that goes up in value year over year. Is that not inflation? Well, that's inflation of those stocks. Of those stocks, right? It's not right? inflation so, of the dollar, though. No, it's not inflation of the dollar, but why is it that the Federal Reserve removes asset classes like this from – classifications of inflation for example when they look at for the, the reason i just said uh, right exactly right and, and they're only looking at inflation of the currency not of anything else well not, not just generally in, in the currency right but they have their definition of what inflation is and they'll use like the consumer price index which tracks like you know toilet paper and, and eggs and shit like that right but my point is is that inflation is rising within the economy it's just it's not rising in an area where people are being affected by it right like the ordinary average person is not really invested in the stock market but that's where inflation is rising right what about housing okay housing is another asset that experiences massive inflation but again based upon the federal reserve's definition of inflation it is excluded from all the traditional measurements that the federal reserve would look at for their inflationary mandates it's a very good example. It's it's a very good example of how manipulation of inflation data and how they make adjustments to monetary policy affects exactly what you're talking about. Could be. I think looking directly at the currency and not looking at that other stuff is meaningful in a way that justifies ignoring some of the other stuff, though, because the currency again is. Is valuation itself? It's it's the means by which we assign those otherwise very arbitrary numbers to. So, if something's wrong with the currency, if something changes in the currency, that that, that indicates something radically more important than this other other stuff that we would be tracking. So it's not that the other stuff isn't important. That other stuff leads to events and they happen. 
it's it's the the currency is the the foundation you know it's the it's the prime mover and and so right and, and who like controls, i was saying earlier and, and who controls the price of that currency and who controls the supply of that currency well so that's a weird question though right you said the price of the currency but the price right it's like saying how much time existed before time existed. Like price is a metric that exists after the currency does. Right. So when you say the price of the currency, well, I mean, right now the price of the currency is by the Federal Reserve's definition, they allow it to be free floating, meaning that the market dictates the value of the currency. However, you can make the so argument. So I think an unfair way to describe. It, I, th I think it's just poor wording, poor word choice that they use, right? Because, again, I don't well, think I mean, there, it's there's actual. There's a reason why they use poor word choice, right? Yeah, well, it's I, more like I, use, it's, it's the, called, the use of the market. It's, it's called Fed speak, right? I mean, and there's a reason why they have fucking teams and teams of fucking journalists and analysts going through all their speeches, making sure that their words are on point. Well, they missed one recently. I'm sure you guys saw the uh, one of the chairmen saying that the, the money at the Federal Reserve is infinite. I mean, that was kind of a... <laughs> well, I believe that was Cash Carter. Kind of a, uh, I don't know his name. <laughs> He's my favorite central banker. You know how they uh, had to fund all these uh, EIDL loans uh, for all these small businesses? You know, that, that first tranche of money disappeared almost instantly. And they need another $7 trillion to fulfill all the loans that are in waiting right now. Well, I think, yeah. they, I think they need more than that. I, yeah, I mean, they, they might now, you know. I don't so know. I think I think they did something very clever. Now, clever doesn't mean good or or smart necessarily, but I, I, I do believe that they did something very, very clever when um, the, the, the Treasury forced the Fed, the Federal Reserve, to mint two coins and then said, we will trade you a trillion dollars of debt for each coin and the debt doesn't stop existing it won't imbalance anything because it exists in physical form of those two coins and you're just going to hold on to them in perpetuity and they in in a single swift movement overnight releveraged 2 trillion dollars of debt for their balance sheet and that that technically works and it's very clever that it works and doesn't break anything. And th it, thinking about why they are allowed to get away with that hurts my head. But uh, <laughs> I do think it was very clever. I don't know if they could keep doing that without breaking things. Uh, <laughs> but they did it, and I don't think that should be ignored. Because it means that there are fixes for some of this stuff that might just be one-time fixes that they can't repeat, which I think is kind of what happened there. But it's very tricky. They were very clever about that. Yeah. At what point do you think hyperinflation occurs? I, I, I actually think that we've already started it. I mean, we, we tripled our debt in, in two weeks. Because we just kept printing money. Here's the thing that goes back to my point of why you will not see hyperinflation is because the Federal Reserve is very good. The fuck is that? So 
the Most federal feedback. The, the Federal feedback. Reserve is really good at adding and removing data that they feel will add to inflation. Like I was saying, the housing market is a very good example of inflationary data. Like when there's people, okay, when the people's home is, assets, yeah, I think right? When people's home assets mitigation. goes up in value, it doesn't right? matter that's, how good that's they inflation. Are that's inflation, but it's not calculated as inflationary data within the CPI, PCE. It also doesn't matter how it's calculated, right? Because, because and, what they're and, mitigating and, is again, only internal point, things that they can control. To, to my point, right? you're right. It doesn't matter what they, calcu- what they calculate because they have the powers to add and remove things out of the inflationary data. So if you no, no, I'm saying that doesn't matter either, right? So what they're adding or removing I is an internal you I function. Think, I think it, it really does matter because if you're tracking a statistic... Right, but you're, you're, you're thinking, okay... Other countries exist, right? Other currency systems exist, and there are other banks right. who do rival some of the some of the power is distributed, right? So, the American government, the Federal Reserve, rather, can mitigate this very effectively as they have been doing for a long time, right? And if they existed in a vacuum, they might be able to do it forever because they'd be moving numbers around of their own system internally, and they could reshuffle that however they wanted. There's things that they don't have control over that they can't reshuffle. Right? The swap market, for example, I was saying earlier, well, yeah, absolutely, three hundred trillion dollars. Right? That's not just U.S. bankers. Three hundred trillion is like a is like a, a just a random number that somebody just throws out. I mean, like to be honest, like how how do you know how much is going on in the swap market? I mean, the euro dollar market trades in 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 a in a whole ball game itself. <laughs> That's not my point. I'm not saying how much we know. I'm saying there's external factors that the U.S. government, the Federal Reserve rather, cannot control. Right? And so it doesn't matter how much they try to mitigate. Eventually, the, the, the proportion of, of American mitigation to the rest of the world, is, is, it's going to be over-leveraged. Right? There, there's going to be an imbalance that the American, that the Fed cannot make up for right they're running out of time and eventually that scale is going to tip and when it does it no longer matters what what numbers they shuffle around because all of those numbers will be u.s dollars and the u.s dollar will no longer be a meaningful number so there's a real like there's a global issue here right The, the way that money is the being of money is is broken in a fundamental way that is becoming more and more difficult to to re-leverage and it, it's getting a little out of control. And I, I do I think that we've started hyperinflation in America. I, I completely agree continue. with you. Uh, I feel like inflation is coming 100%, but I believe hyperinflation can be controlled because of the various um, economic uh, variables that they can control within the statistics itself. Look, right? man, I'm saying it, it doesn't really matter if they hyperinflate or they, they could have deflation, right? They could try to really bring it back. If the dollar collapses, it doesn't matter what its its relation to a loaf of bread was before it collapsed. If it, if it collapses, then it's just no longer useful. It, it doesn't matter how much it was or was not inflated, right? It, economies have collapsed without hyperinflation, right? Right, and those governments' currencies still ate dick and became useless. Right. 
even so, though they were otherwise strong currencies. So they are relatively strong currencies. So, so, so let me ask you this. I mean, do you, do you feel if the 10 year U.S. Treasury note goes into negative, negative yield on the 10 year U.S. Treasury note, which is like the gold standard of government debt? Okay. If that goes into negative yield, would that open the floodgates to the beginning of the end? Um, I have no idea. I actually don't know that much about economics. Uh, <laughs> that might be an indicator. I, I don't know. I mean, dude, I, I don't know if it's dude. meaningful to talk about whether dude, you're, or not you're, something you're, you're fucking talking economics for like the last two hours. <laughs> I don't know anything. I don't. I don't know if something like that would be. I don't know if it's even worth discussing whether or not uh, something like that would be a sign that the collapse has started. Like, I think it's very clear, and pretty much every uh, economist with books that they've written that are well respected. So, this more narrow group of economists, but pretty much all of those people have been saying for a very long time this is going to happen, and have been pointing to to signals that this is happening for a very long time. Uh, so I don't think like another sign means oh now it's happening like no it's already right we're 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 being swept out to sea we're not on the beach anymore yeah 100%. you know the tide has already taken us one hundred percent I mean it, it's it's really interesting to to think about you know like whether or not you know like the the hyperinflation and the collapse has already happened in my opinion I don't think it has happened yet. Not until the treasury market, the 10-year U.S. treasury note, starts going into negative yield, right? I mean, it's, it's the last um, major central bank around the world that still has a positive yield, which is why the U.S. Is, is getting all this influx of money, which is why the U.S. dollar is strong, which is why the U.S. market is strong, is because you have yeah. a lot of foreign direct investments coming into the United States. I'm not trying States. to be mean, uh, but look, look at how you just – even phrase that right this is the last thing this is the last thread that we even have and you said until that's broken i won't believe that you know the thread is thin but like if that's the last thing we have then this shit's over dog like the and the second thing i want to point out here is if if this is the way you're thinking and again i don't want to be mean but you're not going to make the first cycle bud like if this is the way you're thinking and not only are you not prepared, you, you, you will not survive, right? Like, again, we've already been swept out. The tide has taken us, right? You, you got to start swimming to stay afloat, right? Think or swim. The reason why it's the platform is named that is not for no reason. Like, there's, there's other, there's a different kind of work that we got to be doing here besides just tracking assets. Right. I, I really do think that we that this conversation won't be doing real work unless I can convince one of you, at least one of you, to stop tracking finance and economics as your hobby. Right. There, there, there's something else going on here. Right. That that's you know there's we're well, in I mean, the internet scene I, right I, now. I, right? I, there's I, a bunch of detritus everywhere. I, mean, I have two things to rebut to that. Right. I mean, like. People track finance and economics because they gamble on the markets and they try to make a living off of it throughout the day, which is called trading, which is completely fine. Now, what you're referring to is much more of a, I would say, a long-term perspective 
on where the financial system will be or could be, which is that again, is uh, the way to look at it that you have been looking at it. But I'm telling no, I you that I, I, I was just gonna say it's he he's he's basically trying to say that there's more important work that needs to be done, regard irregardless of the market at all. Yes, more or less. And I'm going to repeat this, right? Because like, I'm going to say it directly now, uh, with with not as much sarcasm. It is very fortunate that all of life's problems are salient. How terrible would it be if there were really, really big goddamn problems that were not easily and readily understood by people? Right. It, meaning, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be something <laughs> if there were really detrimental problems in our society that people didn't even recognize as problems? And if you agree with that, then, then we have to undo some of the things that you seem to be thinking about whether or not this short-term trading is meaningful. Or, or matters in any sort of positive way, right? So if if you if you agree that the dollar is a debt certificate and that it's going to collapse because of all kinds of things, with the you know debt bubble and the trifling dilemma and the fact that people want to see it collapse, so just for purely you know game reasons, um, if you believe that, right, then it doesn't matter if you you make a really good dollar right now. Right, because it, the the thing isn't whether or not the dollar is going to be valuable in the long run. Right, think about what it means that the dollar could collapse. Right, there has to be something fundamentally broken about the the being of a dollar. That uh, just, reality is structured in such a way that the only thing, the only means by which we can evaluate other things in a consistent, meaningful way, or at least superficially meaningful way. Right, reality has to be structured in such a way that that breaks. Well, that means that there's a more fundamental problem going on here. Right, so if, if it's not like ten years from now the dollar collapses and oh well I made a good dollar and I lived comfortably during that time. Like no, that it, it was never meaningful to trade the dollar. Right, ab initio from the very beginning it was always broken. Like you don't you don't have to wait for some indicators to tell you that the economy collapsed. Like this was just never valuable. Right? Reality has to be structured in that way, or else the dollar couldn't collapse. So, so, so again, right, and I, I understand that there's quite a bit of sarcasm that gets thrown into this. Because I'm I'm not saying it with the word not, but isn't it fortunate? <laughs> or actually, I I did include a not there because of the contraction. But it is fortunate that all of life's problems are salient. Right, most people are going to be like comfortably numb. You get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And it's not like they're disaffected or they're used to the pain or something. I, I think they. Or like they're too stupid to know better. I don't think that's true. I think it's just there's something else happening here that isn't obvious. And this other thing happening 
is a really big problem, and it's it's deleterious, right? There's there's unforeseen negative consequences that were not accounted for when we kicked this shit off, and those problems have been compounding on each other, and now it's spun out of control. And, and so the the work that really I think people much smarter than me and more knowledgeable about financial systems should be doing is trying to come up with the next thing that's going to replace this during the vacuum. And the next thing hopefully won't start with these problems baked into it. Right. I, I don't want to reinscribe the circle back onto itself. Right. I actually want to try something new next time around. You know, I, I don't want to repeat the, the, the problem. What makes you think you're getting off the treadmill? Okay, well, if you think that the problem is going to repeat itself, then again, you're not going to make the first cycle, bud. <laughs> Have you looked at so history? That's, that's something you got to worry about. Well, I mean, I'm I'm a, I'm a big reader and um, scholar of history, and if there's one thing that history suggests is that history repeats itself. I think that's a pretty narrow interpretation of history. Things have changed. There are, there's not nothing new. Well, no doubt things have changed. I mean, like technology, you know, evolution, things like that, they have changed. But the fundamental cores of civilization or whatnot, like things like that have not changed much. I'm not convinced that that's true. So the... the, the The idea that we can't change the way that we relate to each other in a meaningful way, and so all of our processes and habits, no matter how much of our behaviors change, the fundamental relation stays the same, and so we're going to effectively result in the same thing. I don't think that's true. I think we have very obvious examples that the way that humans relate to each other, which we might call human nature, has changed. And, and in very broad, meaningful ways. So, for example, um, to, I, I don't have to ever see your face to talk to you. I also don't have to ever see your face to murder you anymore. Right? And you might say, okay, well, then human nature is still the same because you want to talk to people and people murder each other. But, like, no. Right? The, the, I, I, I could set up a fake game um, where people get executed, but has real monetary reward. And purely through game theory now, we have an assassination market. Right? Because it's only paid out if there's some special relation from this completely abstract or this complete immaterial concept, which is this virtual game. If that doesn't have direct physical relation to the world, then you don't get your money, you know, big time come dollars. So, so the nature of our rela- the medium by which human relations are established, has shifted, and and the way in which we decide to have any relation to other people has shifted because of that. Right. I mean, my my real name is fairly public online, but it's likely that you guys will never know it. Right. And, and that's not uh, th- these this, these are probably bad examples because these are relatively superficial things, but. If if I can make sure that everybody in Ethiopia starves to death this next summer be, because of something that I said on TV halfway across the world, 
right? Then we're not relating to each other in the same way before, right? This is a different, this is a new, different kind of relation, right? So the same thing seems very possible to happen with currency, right? It seems very easy to invent a new kind of currency, a new kind of valuation, right? And it, it might be fair to say that that happened with Bitcoin. And and here's another thing. Um, there was a back and forth just a moment ago where you said, oh, history repeats itself and, uh, you know, things are the same. And then, uh, you know, Snacks said back, hey, uh, no, things change. Your immediate thought was, well, yeah. Um, and then you said the golden word. You said, you know, technology Technology! We gotta be looking at technology right now, okay, that is going to be changing things, including the problem. Yes. Your mind immediately went to technology. So, this is a good launching pad. Technology is not this wholly separate and distinct entity outside of human nature, right? Human activity, it, fundamentally, it seems like the way in which humans relate to each other at all involves technology. Humans are weird in this regard. You know, technology is not a good metric for intelligence because lots of other species have technology and within our own species, most people never actually invent anything. However, human behavior is uniquely focused for all of our existence that we know about, is uniquely revolving around our technology, right? It, it, it is the mode or a major mode by ourselves and communicate and behave and have relations to each other at all, as far back as we know from cave paintings. So, and actually further back than that, but... To think that technology, if you admit that technology changes in radical or meaningful ways, then it seems like human relations change in radical and meaningful ways. Right? The, the kinds of activities that we perform with each other change. So, like, the, there's activities that we perform with each other that are wholly new that didn't exist 30 years ago. No, I, I and I'm not just talking I, about TikTok. I, I completely agree with you there. My, my point being is that human nature and human behavior and which ties to history constantly repeats itself. It's just as, as we progress along, technology changes the way human nature interacts with one another. But the history, the, the behavior continues to repeat itself. I'm not sure that's true. I mean, we don't keep dragging people back into caves. I mean, allegorically we do, but not, not literally. So, the... no, we, we got houses now. So it's um, a lot more comfortable than a cave. E, well, some people have if houses. If you're in a city, you got like a nice little condo or whatever, you know. Some some people got the streets, you know. Metaphorically, that's their cave, right? But yeah, but if if you're allowed to reduce every change to a non-literal change, metaphorically, the house is the same as the cave. Well, then it would be arbitrary to argue that history repeats itself because you could say anything is like anything. 
I mean, metaphorically, uh, you know, when I make art war with Persia, like, no, they're, they're not the same. That metaphor is broken. So we are doing different things. And in fact, having a house innately means that we are performing a different kind of function than living in a cave. So, so that behavior has changed. Right? All of the activities associated with it are different. So if there's a behavior, activity, or function that society performs that, that the human you don't like, it seems fairly trivial to change that because that has been changed radically so many times already. Right now you might say, oh, well, we still go to war. We still kill each other. How do you change the, you know, the behavior of killing each other? Um, plenty of places have mitigated that, you know, not entirely. Um, but that, that has shifted as well. Um, get the bats. We need the bats. That's how we kill each other. More bats. Yeah, I mean, war is a broader thing, and so it's harder to attack, but, you know, most other behaviors have obviously shifted in, in fairly radical ways. I mean, the, the fact that your libidinal drive has been completely hijacked by AI machine god, right? The, the fact that data brokers know when you're going to commit suicide or have a divorce three years in advance based on your credit card purchases, and you have no idea, and they don't let you know. Right, that these are fundamentally different behaviors that, that couldn't even possibly have existed before and also wouldn't be meaningful to talk about because divorce as a concept is a fairly new thing. Right? Credit cards are a very new thing. Right? These are radically different behaviors that humans regularly engage in now that never existed before. So, Wouldn't you say that would be attributed to, the, to all the data that we're able to... Oh, with the prediction of whether or not you're going to commit suicide and divorce. Yeah, that's that's because they're analyzing the data. But I'm, I, my my point was that that analysis wouldn't be possible if we didn't have these new behaviors to begin with, right? If people never committed, uh, uh, you know, people never divorced or had credit cards, then you know, made credit card purchases, then that wouldn't be a meaningful thing to talk about, right? But those are new things that we have that. So my point here is that it seems very obvious that lots of things have changed. And maybe the real thing that you should be attacking here is that it is so obvious. Because usually when something's really obvious, that's, you know, problematic, right? It's trying to, playing the game of saving intuitions is usually a really uh, deleterious activity. Look, my point is they will chop you down just to count your rings, brother. Okay, we, we radically change. We, we change for fairly arbitrary reasons. Um, if there is a measure of, our, of human intelligence that does distinguish us from other species, it's the fact that we have so radically changed and so many times. Right? That, that, that is about the only defining feature that sets us aside. Um, and even in other intelligent species that can speak, like dolphins, right? Like the cetacean language. It, it, oh, by the way, we talk to dolphins. That's a thing. I don't know if you guys want to talk about that, but um, like <laughs> that, fully, I believe like that's another whole two-hour conversation in itself. <laughs> that one's pretty fast, but like completely lossless semantic direct conversion of languages, um, fast adoption with a, a middle like interlingua 
Franca kind of a thing. Um, we did that using a semiotic architecture I developed. I, I say we. I wasn't involved in that part with the dolphins, but they told me about it using the, the semiotic architecture. Um, dolphins are fucking crazy. They talked about on those dolphins. Um, by the way, pretty much two beats of every story I've told you, the third beat has been just an absolute lie. Um, not for legal reasons. I don't really care about those. A lot of times the law is arbitrarily avoided, but um, but but because for people's protection. Um, I, I haven't gotten into a lot of details with any particular stories yet, but I'm just letting you know. So just assume pretty much everything I'm saying to you is a lie and that I'm making this up. That's that's the game we have to play here. But anyways, they, they talked about on those dolphins. And and it might be more obvious, right? I'm not just saying what I just said for like color or flavoring. Um, if you think about which countries have militaries that use bottlenose dolphins for reconnaissance, right? This this might be more of a serious uh, qualification that I just gave. But the, <laughs> they they t they took bottlenose dolphins and they used this semiotic architecture. Semiotics is the study of signs and symbols and how you map a meaning onto them or how they acquire a meaning naturally or unnaturally, whatever. Um, we had we had an architecture based on the unit circle, without formatting, right? So there's no read direction, um, and because of that, any species, right? And and they're all naturally mathematically occurring shapes that got used for the uh, the symbols of this of this framework. So like circles, triangles, squares, and they also every symbol, every character counts as a number as well. And so it's a there's ten characters. It's a base ten system. Etc. There's there's a lot of very special properties. Of this it, it, explaining the rest would take some more time. But the point is, we had this sort of thing that we could use to convert languages. That's the point, and it converts it very accurately. And when you convert it, because it's based on the unit circle, it also has mathematical values and relations specific to the language it came from. Meaning, you don't have to know what language you're converting. Um, and there's some research I've seen other people do. Um, they'll take encrypted blobs of text, and I this is purely speculation, um, but the, the, they'll take encrypted blobs of text, um, and they don't know what the original language was that got encrypted in the ciphertext, but when they convert it into this system, the, the, the semiotic framework that I'm describing, um, a regular mathematical relation that arose um, that exposed through the encryption what the original language was being used. They, they can't tell what was being sent, but they can tell the language of origin. Now, again, the, the, the research that I've seen on this is very loose. I, I don't know how strong that correlation was. Um, but so there, there's the point is that there's very special properties that stack on top of each other for this semiotic framework. So anyways, the, some divers took uh, like an underwater tablet Another, uh, I guess this is going to be a longer conversation because I have to explain some of the context for how this works in order for any of it to make any fucking sense. But the, <laughs> another thing, because because it's based radially around a unit circle and because there's no read direction, um, that also means that if you had a radial audio spectrometer and you overlaid those symbols, they would have direct finite frequency values that would map onto those symbols. And so writing the language is is literally directly equivalent to speaking because the symbols are the sounds on a radial spectrometer and reading the language is 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 like almost synesthetically directly equivalent to hearing it 
right? Because hearing the sound produces the symbol on a radial spectrometer. So the, there, there's a direct, very intimate relation that it has. There's no other framework that I know of has done that before. So there's very special property stacking. The reason why I'm giving that context is because on this tablet, they're showing the dolphins, right? It would produce the symbol, but it would produce it on a radial spectrometer, which means that they were also producing that uh, symbol as a sound that the dolphins could hear. And then the dolphins quickly figured out, oh, these symbols and the sounds are the same thing. Dolphins have very different vocal cords than we do. They actually speak in three to four, in my understanding, um, tonal ranges at a time for every syllable they utter, kind of like singing. So they actually have like three channels that they're talking on at all times whenever they're speaking. It's kind of weird, but they they can produce these, humans can't produce these sounds, but they can produce the sounds, reproduce them. They had another tablet that would, with a microphone, would produce the image of their sound on a radial spectrometer there. So that one was reading them. We had one talking to them, one reading them. Within about four days, um, they had a working vocabulary uh, that at about 90% capture of semantic. Right? There, there's some word, like when you're initially trying to convert stuff, right? Like if, if you were an alien and you came down to earth and you didn't understand anybody was saying, um, and, and you wanted to know like what the fuck their mouth sounds were, right? And you showed them a picture of waves on the ocean, right? Just ocean, right? Nothing else in the picture, just ocean, right? And they said, what's your word for this? Uh, that that's kind of ambiguous because because you're seeing an image and you don't know if they mean if they want you to describe the waves or the ocean or an air water divide or a gradient color divide or you know the the color blue is this supposed to represent blue like it's fairly ambiguous so there's a lot of like um, you know real slow you know, more, uh, uh, what's that called? Uh, like smaller little thing, you know, very detailed work you got to do in order to suss out, you know, more of the stuff going on here. But, but they figured that out, right? After only like four or five days um, of spending, you know, only a few hours a day with, with the, the same group of dolphins. And so um, at the end of that, you know, they're having full on conversations, Right? They're, they're having deep, con like, you know, like, what do you think about your environment? Do you feel like you're safe in the ocean? Like, you know, how do you relate to other fish? Stuff like that, right? I mean, like, real conversations, like, in more or less the same words that I just said, right? And this is getting directly converted, right? Like, I mean, like, robust translation, right? Very quick. That is fucking, that is fucking insane. Yeah. And again, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm just talking, right? Effectively, this is just made up, but um it, like they it, it's very fascinating because like dolphins are very intelligent the cetacean brain is very interesting they, the the encephalization of, of of their brains is uh stronger in some areas than the human brain and they have a third component right humans have like the reptilian brain and then the mammalian brain that wraps over that dolphins have a third brain that looks like this super brain that wraps over that um and they that is used um, for visual processing, for audio visual, visual processing. It's how they do sonar, and it's also used um, for direct emotive, um, short range signaling. Right. So, so dolphins are like, um, uh, who is Deanna Troy in Star Trek? Fucking um, an empath. Dolphins are empath. Certain species of dolphins. Orcas are empaths. 
right? So they can't lie to each other because they know when they're lying. They can, they can directly tell. It's very fascinating. Um, they're very, very intelligent. So anyways, you know, th these conversations, these, this translation is allowing for these fairly direct, meaningful, robust conversations. And um, dolphins have a sense of humor. They, they, they told a joke, right? Like, it, it, they weren't sure that it was a joke at first, but, like, they, then they clarified, right? So I, this has been a long time. Okay, so I don't remember all of the details. Um, but from what I do remember, it was something like, right, I'm paraphrasing. Uh, it was something like, uh, you know, how do you feel about being in your environment? Like your environment, our environment is very different, as, you know, they, they made clear, right? Because we effectively look like gods coming down with this magic that makes images and sounds appear out of nowhere and directly translate like that. We're effectively these super beings. Um, but, but, um, they, uh, the, the conversation was, some, or the prompt was something like, you know, do you feel safe in your environment? Like you're basically the gods of your world, more or less. Um, and again, I'm paraphrasing, but, but like, do, do you ever feel unsafe when sharks are around or something like that? Like, do, do you, do you feel like you could get jacked in your sleep? Like, you know what I mean? Like, like how how stressed out are you? Like stuff like that. Like how do you really relate to your environment, basically? And the 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 response was, um, it's okay because sharks swim too slow, right? But the the way that the translation worked was that the the their terminology around swimming um, can be very directly related or even conflated with their terminology around thinking because they think in 3D spatial relations. So so the the joke was that they were actually saying sharks think too slow. Right? They were calling sharks stupid. They made fun of sharks. Like this is <laughs> like the, the, I'm I'm telling you they're really fucking smart. Like dolphins are just water people. Like <laughs> it's it's insane. Like, uh, what, what is their impression one. of humans? What was that? I, I said, what is their impression of humans? I don't know. I'm sure that was discussed. I don't remember. I, uh, so these were wild dolphins. That was the other crazy thing. And these were not like... Hmm. These were not dolphin researchers that were doing this. <laughs> uh which also is kind of strange as to the effectivity of, of the translation mechanism they were using, the, the semiotics framework. But, um, And I'm assuming it's not like they're getting the dolphins from SeaWorld either. No, correct. The, these, mm, I believe these were wild dolphins, but they also might have not been. It is unclear. It seems like uh, that would affect the experiment because if dolphins had already had. Um, well, it wasn't an experiment. <laughs> they, this, again, these were not dolphin researchers. Um, these were people that wanted to see how whether or not they could just directly communicate with dolphins. For, for uh, fact. It's, uh, no. Because I mean, there's there's plenty of organizations that aren't three letter, you know, glow people 
Um, but but so, and and my understanding too is that these people were doing it fairly independently. They just decided to do it once they found out that you know. Um, but so, from what I very loosely again, this was a very long time ago. What I loosely remember is that um, they they. I'm not a hundred percent like the context was sort of missing, right? Because certain things weren't asked. Um, things that were asked were, you know, within a very limited time frame. It's not like they talked to them all day, every day for years or something. So there, there was only certain things that got discussed in that that time. I'm sure more things have been attempted since then, but I, I only knew. Um, but so. It, 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 the way it sounded was like they were speaking to after direct communication was a step like you could like you know start matching words for words and stuff they started speaking to us uh, more or less as not like gods but like angels like something something crazy and with unique powers that came down from above if they started reciting some John D or something, you fucking. <laughs> and it's not it's not that they thought that we were gods necessarily. It's just that they were treating us politely. Is is the way that it seemed. Um, and they were obviously very curious and interested. Um, as I mean, both on both sides. Um. I mean, that makes so, sense why they always swim up next to my boat when I go fishing. Right. So I would imagine, right, and again, that's a single sample size that's very fuzzy. Uh, I would imagine from that that they probably don't understand that it's also us th that is directly poisoning them. <laughs> and if they knew that, they probably wouldn't be so amicable to us. All right, well, I got to head out. Yeah, this is uh this is probably a good time to to wrap it up. Um snacks, you know, uh thank you very much for um for spending some time with us and uh enlightening us with your knowledge on cryptocurrencies, economics, the system itself and uh and, and dolphins. Have, have any of you given up? Here's the real question. Have any of you given up? Max, real quick, can you answer the question that I wrote in Discord? I didn't want to interrupt. Uh, where? Uh, in general. Where in general? I mean, I pinged you right above the dolphins. <laughs> Dancing. Oh, you didn't ping me. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, it was a false pin. Um, Drastic change. I don't think they're drastic. Right? I think they're fairly like expected changes in society. Um, I also the rate that we consume information is exponentially increased. Kind of. Right. It's we are consuming way more information. Um, it, it's but it's not like literature that we're consuming. Um, right. I mean, it's it's not necessarily meaningful information, which is also not to say that it's not meaningless. It, it's just 
it's it's a different kind. I think that we're not consuming. Mm -hmm. And the, okay, so there's a second part of your question: is what about rapidly consuming more and more information? But also, people don't reflect on this. I think the majority of the information we consume is other people's reflections on it. So I don't think it's that people are unreflective. I think most people do not reflect in the right way. Right? There is a proper way to do that, and it's uh, usually not attained by most of the people doing it. Um, you say morality is disappearing. I don't know about morality. Um, I think there are plenty of like moral like proselytizers, possibly even more so than before. It's we we don't have objective ethics anymore. Like objective ethics isn't taught in classes anymore. It used to be a standardized class. And so ethical frameworks, meaning universalizable, objective, etc. Um, like those definitely have almost disappeared. Right. They they exist in very narrow senses in society. They still exist in a lot of like legal uh, judicial bodies, but um, those have also clearly seen the effect of the uh, you know, other things swaying in society. So, you know, th there's no longer like, you know, th there is a point in, in Prussia, or Bavaria, I forget which one, maybe they're both, I don't remember. There, there was a point where Immanuel Kant was famous. And if you started talking about his ethics without naming him or without giving the formal name for the, the framework, people would just know what you're talking about, right? They would know that universalizability was a problem, and people would discuss that, right? Like because this stuff used to be a standard thing, like literally a standardized thing that people are taught. So, it, not having that is strange, right? Because that means that everything we're doing is without ethical relation. That's a very strange thing, right? We're talking about making money so that we could be comfortable. Okay, but wh why be comfortable? Like, are we are we really sure about? The, have you really sat down? Right, is comfort the good? Right, because we're using different words for those things. Right, like <laughs> I don't know. It it's it's unreflective in that way for sure. Um, it's 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 unreflective in terms of like whether or not people um, look towards the 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 ultimate ends. Right, the 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 final conclusion that comes from something, right? Like, what what are we actually working towards? Right? Why do we keep making more shit? We don't need to. Plenty of people are comfortable. We just keep making the same shit and just give it to more people. It, there's no reason to improve anything, other than the fact that people say they want to improve things. But why? Why you don't have to? Most people don't. Most people never invent anything. Most people never work very much on anything. You don't have to. Why why do we do that? I mean, like, there's, if you want to talk about being unreflective, like, that's a pretty big one. Why are we doing this? What is, what is really the point? And I don't mean that in, like, a sort of, like, you know, emo fucking high school, you know, depressed kid, like, oh, it's all for nothing, we're going to die. Like, no, 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 that's, that's not what I'm saying, right? And by the way, that's also not a valid argument. Uh, <laughs> just a little aside here so you know, so you can, you know, as a, like, a mental party trick. BTFO people, whenever somebody says uh, that, you know, nothing you do now will matter in a hundred years. Okay, well, similarly, nothing that happens in a hundred years 
if it's true that nothing you do now matters in 100 years, then whatever happens in 100 years doesn't matter now. So it doesn't matter that nothing you do now doesn't matter in 100 years. Right? So that's just a complete non-starter. Right? That's an absurd line of reasoning. Right? So let's, 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 let's you know, pretend for a second that what you do actually does matter. Right? Why are we doing that? Right? that that's, right? There's, there's a severe lack of self-reflection in that realm. Yo, shout out to my boy, Wow, very dope, best Twitter Wally, account hey. of all time. Of Yo, all shout out to Brock Turner. Shout out to my boy, TFP Unfounded, also known as not the Korean pop singer. I'm talking about Jonathan Park, the guy from K Town. Has a massive mural of himself. Spray painted on the side of a liquor store. I stood in front of that. That guy that was in here earlier, wow, very dope. This fucking kid rode by, this Mexican kid rode by on his bicycle and dropped a crisp $100 bill out of his pants. I shit you not. Wow, very dope picks it up and gives it back to the kid okay i thought he was retarded at first but i realized something special happened there okay a colombian guy gave a hundred dollars back to a mexican kid in front of my white body outside right in front of a giant life you know human-sized mural of a korean rapper's face plastered onto the side of an indian liquor store Okay, if you want to talk about racial harmony, we have achieved it. Okay, I've seen. Okay. So shout out to DFD for allowing that moment to happen in my life. Shout out to my friend Ryan Manilak for introducing me to Dumbfounded, aka Raffle Beats, aka Nice Guys, best SoundCloud. Am I right? Shout out to my boy fucking Arctos. That's beatboxer on this planet, and I mean that. <laughs> Shout out to Belle Delphine for causing the most bones of underage boys in human history. And I mean that. Let these niggas know! <laughs> All right, man. Snacks, uh, thank you very much for joining us, man. Thank you very much for everybody that joined us. Have a great one, y'all.